Hey, what's up, guys? It's Ricky V, and you're listening to episode number 490 of the Evolutionary Podcast. And in this one, we're going to revisit some old episodes, some good, good stuff, great content. Uh, my man Steve is going to be off for just a couple of weeks, but he'll be back doing this show with me in no time. For now, we're going to revisit some of these awesome shows that I'm pretty sure you have not heard. So keep listening and enjoy. What's up, guys? Evolution at War podcast coming your way. Steve Smee, as always. I'm with Rick. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? All right, guys. So we have five really, really fun topics. Let's get into it, first of all. The first one we're going to get into is a question we get a lot. And, um, you know, hopefully we can kind of give you guys some guidance on this. This guy says, my friend said short esters are better than long esters true or bro science so let's first talk about you know what does that mean short ester is long ester a short ester would simply mean a steroid um that's a short half-life like like a propionate for example is a short half half-life phenylpropionate has a shorter half-life then you have anethacypinate those are longer acids undeclinate decanate those those are longer esters so Basically, the difference would be with the shorter esters, um, if you're using an injectable, you would, you would have to inject it more frequently. So like propionate, you want to inject every day, every other day. And then sepinate and the longer esters, decanate, those you can inject twice a week or once a week or once every 10 days, depending on which one it is. So, you know, is it better to inject more often something with a short half-life that is, you know, in kind of builds up in your system and peaks at a quicker, uh, quick, quick, more quicker. And is out of your system quicker. Does it really make a difference? So let's dive into this uh, first. Let me kind of like give me my opinion on this. It really depends on your situation. Like I'll give you an example. If you want to run like an eight week cycle, it really is advantageous to run a short ester because what happens is you're going to run it it's going to, even though it's going to be working right away, it's, it's going to peak a lot quicker. So you'll get peak levels of concentration in your blood within two, three weeks. If you're running a long ester, it's going to take five or six weeks. So if you're only running eight weeks, it makes more sense to run a short ester because it's in, in your body quicker peaking. And then once you stop, it's out of your body quicker. So you can start recovering quicker. A long ester you want to run it maybe 10, 12 weeks. Some guys even go 14 or 16 weeks. And then when you come off of it, it still lingers in your system because it takes a longer time to get out. So, I mean, you're talking weeks after your last injection, it's still in your system. So in that case, it's going to take you longer to recover because you're running a much longer cycle. We'll, we'll get into the recovery aspect a little bit later. So that's, you know, that's my opinion on that. Um, it, you know, depending on how long you're running it, Rick, what kind of direction you want to take on this question to help this guy out? When it comes to the ester, uh, yeah, the shorter esters are nice. Uh, they have some good parts to them. They have some drawbacks. The good parts that I like about the shorter ester is that you get more steroid for your milligrams, right? I, we've discussed this in the podcast before, propionate, acetate, you know, 100 milligrams of acetate, 100 milligrams of propionate is going to have more active anabolic hormone than if you had the same 100 megs of inatinate because the shorter ester weighs less and it comprises a smaller percentage of that total weight. So you get more active steroid. That's good. Also, the shorter ester just starts to work quicker. 
You know, anybody that's used Trembolone um, and Actate with the longer ester or Trembolone acetate knows the difference. Same thing with testosterone propionate. Same, um, same situation. You notice the stuff working a lot quicker. So those are the two good things. It works a lot quicker. It's almost like you, you don't even need a kickstart. It works so fast. And also, you get more active hormone per weight. Now, the drawbacks to the shorter esters are just the injection volume. You know, you have to inject them quite often. And those injections tend to hurt quite a bit. So the shorter esters, you have to inject way more often, sometimes every other day if you really want to, sometimes every day if you really want to get a steady levels. And that can lead you to get burnout from your injections. You know, once you're on a, on a long cycle and you're pinning every day, every other day, it begins to be a bit much. And you'll know when you're getting burnout from the injections because you, you have this reaction, like the sensation just touching the needle to your skin. And it's funny because the first time I did propionate, I actually looked forward to the shots. I enjoyed the shots. But then after about four weeks on this prop cycle, I was just like, damn, another shot. Damn, another shot. I got burnt out on them. And also, you're going to find that the shorter esters are going to give you more injection pain than the longer esters. You know, those shorter esters, they don't want to suspend in that oil, in that carrier, as much as the longer esters do. So... They're gonna burn out. They're gonna burn you a little bit more. Even at the depot, as they get absorbed, they're more um, of a crystalline type of structure than what you get with a, with a very kind of fatty type structure when you have those long esters in there. So it definitely hurts more the injection depot. So that's that's what I would say. The the two drawbacks to it are are just the injection frequency, which will burn you out. You might have fun at first pinning, but it'll burn you out. And the the pain, you know, the pain is unlike the longer esters for sure. At the end of the day, guys, I personally hate the shorter esters. I'm, I'm all for the longer esters. I don't care about, you know, the disadvantages. For me, I hate injecting. I hate the pain of injecting. It just, it's, I'm sick and tired of it. So I always go with the longer esters. All things being equal, guys, over the long term, it will not matter if you shoot short or long esters. It's just a personal preference thing. And if your friend said, wow, short esters gave me much better results than long esters, I would say he was probably just using better quality gear when he used a short ester. That's, that's, I've seen that. I've experienced that personally. So even the same compound, two different brands manufactured in two different countries, whatnot. I mean, it's going to give you you'll like one more than the other. That's just how it is. So um, I don't think it really um, is going to make a difference long-term in your, uh, you know, in your fitness uh, endeavors. I'll put it that way. All right, guys. So the next question is prostate. This is a topic that we don't talk enough about as men because the prostate is something, obviously it's something personal. Nobody likes to go around talking about their prostate with, with other people in the gym very often. But I will say I'm kind of surprised at some of the, some of the conversations people have you know, regarding their health. But the prostate's very important, guys, because it's one of those things like we can't see. Like you can look in the mirror and flex and see your big bicep and be like, wow, my bicep's improving. My bicep's getting bigger. But your, your prostate, you're not really going to be able to know if your prostate's getting enlarged or being inflamed or whatnot. Some of the side effects, though, if you are having an enlarged prostate, it's going to be urinary issues. Maybe we go to pee and you're pushing and you're pushing and it's, you can't pee. You have problems. Uh, how you pee, like the, the quickness of, of getting it over, of urinating. 
Um, it could be, it could affect you in the bedroom, it can affect your performance in the bedroom, it can, it can affect, you know, how you perform, uh, how long you perform, all that stuff. So if you notice anything kind of screwy going on, then you really should be aware of that. And I'll say this, guys, this is kind of scary. I read something where if you're over the age of 50, you already have a million cancer cells in your prostate. So if you have an enlarged prostate from, from abusing anabolic steroids, those cancer cells can, can explode on you. So you want to keep that in mind. So, you know, why do we get enlarged prostates on anabolic steroids? It's very simple, guys. It's the, it's the conversion of the hormones to dihydrotestosterone, DHT, and that affects your prostate, and that will cause your prostate to enlarge. Um, so it's very important, guys, not to abuse steroids. That's that's what I'm going to tell you. I'm curious, Rick, um, you're the supplement guru. Is there any supplements out there that you think will help with the prostate? What are your thoughts on the whole prostate thing? Yeah, there are a lot of natural ingredients that help with the prostate. One that's really interesting, and uh, I don't have it in any any of my products yet, but I'm, I'm researching it for a uh, prostate product I'm working on. It's lycopene. Lycopene is a really nice product. It comes from uh, tomatoes, actually. And, and you know, one thing, uh, funny enough, uh, you get more lycopene if the tomato's cooked than you do if you eat it raw. So that's just something to note. But uh, lycopene is, is nice. And the thing about lycopene is, for example, you have those tiny little cancer cells, say, in your prostate. And they may never go anywhere. You know, they might be there for life, and you'll never, it'll never develop into anything because they don't have steady blood supply. Those cancer cells, they just don't have good supply. They're not normal cells. They're not good cells. So they just don't have a, a, good, a good blood supply. But if they get the blood supply, if they get it, they're going to just grow out of proportion. So there are certain chemicals that your cell uses to basically uh, call I guess is the best way to say it, to basically call blood vessels into growing in its direction. You know, there are chemicals that your healthy cells can release to have blood vessels begin to, to grow and feed it. Now, cancerous cells tend to not have or be able to create that signal. And it seems that lycopene helps to actually block, block it even further, block those cancer cells from actually getting any, uh, any kind of blood supply or permanent blood supply lines, you know, running up to it which is basically, you know, so lycopene is a really nice one. Um, you know, maca and uh, saw palmetto, those are actually good mentions as well. But if you're really uh, concerned about, about cancer uh, long-term, I think just making sure you add lycopene to your program, make sure you uh, enjoy cooked tomatoes, make sure you're, um, you know, th those things can help just, the key part is keeping that blood supply from, from reaching those, those cancer cells. Because once one of them grabs on, to a steady blood supply, it's going to grow out of proportion and, and it's on from there. I mean, you're going to have an issue. Yeah, guys. And one of the big red flags um, of prostate, major prostate issues, ejaculation pain. If you get like, uh, and then burning when you, when you urinate, but that could also be like a UTI too, urinary tract infection. But um, you want to look for that too. If you're urinating, if the, if the urine is like dribbling out of you, obviously, that's a red flag. But how do you test for prostate? The number one way to test guys is just go to the doctor um, once a year and have them do the finger test. And um, 
you know, I've had it done many times. It sucks. They stick a finger like up your ass and I absolutely hate it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like five seconds of hell getting a finger up your ass. But that's the, that's how they can actually see, they can tell if something's abnormal by doing that. And um, if it is, the doctor may order additional tests. But um, if they do decide to put you on a drug to kind of get the prostate smaller, you must work with your doctor as well by stopping anabolic steroids. You must. Like, don't be like, yeah, I'm just going to take the drug the doctor is giving me and then keep abusing steroids because that absolutely makes no sense. And you're never going to get that prostate back to where it is. Don't fuck, don't fuck with that guys. Um, you can get prostate cancer very young. It's not one of those cancers that you don't have to worry about. I mean, we see people get prostate cancer who are much younger than, than other cancers. It's nothing to fuck with. So the finger up the ass, get it done guys. Don't, don't be um, one of those people who are like, I don't want to get the finger up the ass. I'd rather get cancer. So don't, don't fuck around with that. Rick, what about you? Uh, how, when was the last time you got the finger in the ass? About, yeah, about once a year I get the test. Um, you know, funny enough, uh, never really had any kind of prostate sensitivity or issues doing juice. But since I started cycling, you know, mountain biking quite a bit, man, it's, it, it gets tender. If I won't cycle, I'll feel it. So it, it's one thing I have noticed now, and, and it's going to bring me back into full physical and the doctor is that ever since I started bike riding, the bike riding with the juice, I have felt something a little bit, uh, a little bit tender and weird going on down there. And uh, I got a new seat, a uh, seat with a hole in the middle, so it doesn't put pressure on that area. But still, it, it, it's quite concerning, and you know, I'm going to follow it up for sure. But I mean, look, you can have some benign enlargement that feels uncomfortable. You get some of the pee side effects, but it's nothing to really nothing to really worry about. So if you are feeling a little bit of sensitivity, don't, don't go crazy. Just take, you know, make the appointment, take your time. It could be just benign enlargement, benign tightness, which, which will tend to happen. You know, you'll, it, it can swell up and not be cancerous, just be something that's going on. So uh, it's something to keep an eye on it and be concerned about. Yeah. And a lot of people listening to this are like, wow, I never even knew this. I never knew anything about the prostate. You know, it's like in, in weightlifting and bodybuilding, we tend to just look in the mirror and see what we see. We don't think about what's going on inside of us. And that will come back and bite you as you get older. So next one, guys. And I think on this podcast, we've mentioned before androgen dependent cancers, you know, cancer cells that will grow when there is an abundant supply of androgen, say male hormones in the body, of, you know, attaching to the receptors on those cells. And prostate is one of them. You know, prostate's probably the, the big one, the androgen-dependent cancer that, that you could develop from heavy levels, high levels of androgens that you might not otherwise develop if you weren't juicing. So it's something to, to note, something to be aware of. So next one, guys, is can I get away with less post-cycle therapy on a short oral cycle than long injectable? So let me just address what does post-cycle therapy mean. Post-cycle therapy is something that, you know, those of us who cycle steroids, we depend on because when you come off steroids, 
they start trickling out of your system, what happens is the hormones in your body start dropping. And since your own pituitary glands are not producing hormones, you will crash hard. And a post-cycle therapy is very important because a post-cycle therapy or PCT, as it's called, is your soft landing. That's what, you're, you, what you start using after you're done with your steroid cycle. And that will prevent that crash where you lose mood, you lose the motivation to work out, you lose strength, you lose muscle so rapidly. So we want to avoid that. We want a smooth landing. So that is why a post-cycle therapy PCT is so important. So is it true that you need a, sh a shorter, um, a less of a PCT, I would say, when you're using a shorter, when you're doing a shorter cycle? And the answer is, is yes, you do. I must say you're doing a six-week cycle, four-week cycle oral. I mean, it's in and out of your system quick. You can go on a, you can do kind of a mini PCT after that, like low-dose CIRM, and then run some N2 Generate. And that should, that, that'll be plenty for a PCT. But if you're running a long cycle, like 14 weeks, 16 weeks, then you need a much bigger PCT. I would be doubling up on your CIRMs. I would be using N2 Generate ES Extra Strength. You want to you wanna be very, very um, open to, to, to running your PCT much longer. I would even recommend an eight or 10-week PCT if you're running such a long cycle. But a short cycle with short esters or an oral, you could probably get away with just a four or five-week PCT. So that's what I've noticed over the years with myself and with my clients when I, when I looked at blood work. So it does help. But also, you guys you remember going into your cycle, were you already suppressed? Was your HPTA already struggling? That can make a difference in how you recover as well. Rick, what about you? What have you noticed over the years? What's your opinion on this? Yeah, shorter cycle, you tend to not get as suppressed and come back very quickly from it. I'm at a point now where I'm about to reach 40 and I'm either, if I'm juicing, I'm either juicing or I'm on PCT kind of year round at this point. And I juice very little, you know, I use very uh, small amounts now just to, just to maintain. But yeah, either that or I'm taking herbals, but I'm, you know, and I take about every year, about three months off total to just where I take nothing. Now, when it comes to these short oral cycles, if, you, if you're doing a short oral cycle about four or six weeks, yeah, I mean, you two, three, four week PCT, it's about all you need. And if you have a good, strong enough PCT, you'll even make some progress during your PCT, more progress uh, as you are coming off the steroids even. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. Short little turinable cycle, four to six weeks, turinable, four to six weeks, maybe winstrol cycle. You're gonna, you're gonna be able to get away with a very small PCT compared to doing you know, the long esters and all this other stuff. You see, when you post cycle therapy from an oral cycle, once you once the orals are out of you, which happens you know, within the first 24 hours, you're already recovering. You're taking the meds and you're starting to recover. When you take the longer esters, if you start your PCT, you know, two weeks after your last shot, the, the steroids are still in your system. So you're kind of taking your PCT meds, trying to recover against the steroids still in there, suppressing you somewhat. So even the first two weeks of PCT coming off of some long ester injectables, you're not fully recovering because stuff is still flowing through you where when you get those orals, they're out of you pretty quickly and you can get to the business of recovering your normal testicular functions after cycle. All right, guys. So our next topic 
is an interesting one. Is frying food and overcooking food bad for me? So let's, let's talk about what happens when you cook food. Now, what is the problem with, with people say, well, you know what, this chicken is this many calories. So if I bake it versus just frying it, it's the same calories. It's, gonna, it's the same macros, same amount of protein. It's going to go in my body. That's what a stupid person says. And we see people say that shit all the time. But in reality, how you prepare your food makes a huge difference because your body has a different reaction. So frying and overcooking and charring your food destroys all the bacteria, destroys all the nutrition. You're basically eating a dead food. Um, and we know that charring your food and frying, over frying foods is our carcinogenic. That's the first thing they tell people who have cancer, who walk into a cancer treatment center, is they tell them you have to, you cannot eat um, be very careful when you barbecue food for food from now on, because if that food gets charred, then it's carcinogenic. You cannot be putting that in your body. So absolutely, guys, food prep and food preparation is so fucking important. And how you cook your food is so fucking important. I have unrefined organic coconut oil. And that's the key word there, unrefined coconut oil. That's what I cook with. If you cook with refined oils, any type of refined oil, it's the, the health benefits are just so much more less than cooking with unrefined coconut oil. It's absolutely the best thing. It's come from nature, natural. And that's what I cook with. I, that's why I prep my food. I never burn my food. I never overcook my food. A lot of people want to argue with me about microwaving food. They say, oh, microwaving food is not a bad thing, whatever. Look, if you have to microwave your food, that's fine. But keep in mind, again, microwaving your food destroys a lot of the nutrition. So you, again, you want to you want to try to eat as much live food as possible in your body. So when you're cooking meat, bake it very lightly, grill it very lightly. Make sure you're you're prepping it pepper, uh, prepping it correctly. The seasonings, the uh, unrefined coconut oil. That's what I recommend, guys. Um, you know, anything it could be eggs. It can be anything you're cooking. Uh, vegetables. If you're overcooking them, you're destroying the nutrition in those foods and it will, it will make a difference. That's my opinion, guys. I mean, a lot of people want to disagree with that and that's fine because they think like, wow, these vegetables are this many macros. This chicken is this many macros. This beef is this many macros. It's the same thing, whether you fry it in hydrogen oil or you, you cook it the way I'm telling you to cook it. It's the same macros. That's what, that's what they'll tell you, but your body is a different reaction. And how do you feel when you go to a Chinese restaurant and you eat fried food, you know, and their oil. How do you feel afterwards? You feel like shit. You're probably having diarrhea when you get home. So that's all stress out on your body, guys. Your body can, can't handle all that stress all the time. So food for thought, guys. Think about it. What's your opinion on this, Rick? Uh, yeah, overcooking food is, is no good. Not only just for mouthfeel, but yeah, having charred uh, meat enter your body and, and go through your digestive system is not definitely not going to help you. Now, just to clarify something Steve said, there's a lot of good life foods out there you, that you can have that have very good probiotics that are going to help your gut health, like sauerkraut, pickles, kombucha, certain types of yogurt. There's good stuff out there that has good life cultures. Uh, definitely, we don't mean like you don't want the bacteria that's on dead meat. You, that's why we cook the shit out of it because 
uh, that bacteria will kill you. But there's good bacteria, good live foods that you can, that you can have. Now, you don't need to overcook your meat. Uh, pretty much pork or chicken, it's either done or it's, or it's not. When it comes to certain types of fish and red meat, definitely you can play with how cooked you want it or not. But you definitely don't want to, you don't want to eat charred stuff, man. If that stuff going through your, through your system is, is not, not good, it's no bueno. So making sure to just cook your foods lightly enough to kill the bad bacteria, but uh, not, and not enough to, to create, you know, little pieces of, of charred meat that you're going to then ingest. It's just not a good, not a good look. The little bit of uh, grill lines on, on chicken breast or on a, or on a steak, you know, neither here or there. It's just very small amount. But when you have like the edges charred up, when you have a food, when you have meat that's black from being cooked, stay away. Stay away from, from meat that, that's turned black from being cooked. There's got black spots on it from overcooking. That's just not going to be good for you at all. Guys, at NNA, fast food, mall food, restaurant food, okay, it's not good for you. Um, they do overcook their foods and that's, that's not, that's not just the reason why, but the reason they overcook their foods is because they're trying to get rid of the bacteria on purpose because they don't want you to get sick from it. Like Rick was saying, but I mean, that's not a good thing. So, you know, if you ever go to a restaurant or fast food place and you just go into the kitchen and watch how they're preparing the food, it's so unsanitary. That's why they have to overcook it on purpose because it's so fucking unsanitary back there. There's roaches crawling around, there's rats, there's droppings of, of all kinds of bugs and stuff. So I prefer, you know, to cook, I, I'm the best cook, okay? There's no cook out there who can cook better than me. I'm, I'm my own cook. I can prep my own food, I can cook my own food. I don't need someone else, I don't need to pay someone else to cook my own food. So I prefer to do it, guys. But guys, it's so simple. Just Go to the store, go to the health food store, buy a whole jar of unrefined coconut oil. It's like 10 bucks and that will last you two or three months, okay? You don't even need to use that much of it when you cook and you can cook whatever you want. Just don't overcook guys. Baking, a little bit of sauteing in a pan is okay. Um, you know, those, those are really good options uh, to cooking your food, but don't, don't overcook it guys. One good way to cook consistently and not overcook your food, and it's really good, clean, easy, trouble-free way to cook is get an air fryer. You can get an air fryer on the market for a couple hundred bucks, and it's been, for me, probably my most used cooking piece of equipment that I use now. The air fryer is just incredible. You just throw, toss the food in there, set the timer. It will dry your food before it ever chars it. So it's very, very hard for you to char your food on an air fryer. And if it's getting a little bit dry, you can coat it with a little bit of coconut oil, whatever you're cooking in there. You could put everything from a piece of red meat to a piece of chicken to, to a, you know, to a sweet potato, to a full potato, to you can put anything in there. And if you're afraid, if you want to get a nice little crisp on the outside of whatever you're, you're throwing in there, just coat it with a little bit of coconut oil before you put it in the air fryer. And man, that machine is magical. It's probably my favorite piece of kitchen equipment. And I make everything in that thing. You know, you can throw white button mushrooms in there with some, with some cherry tomatoes, just 10 minutes on, on high. And man, that's, it, they come out perfect. So um, th that's probably my, my most beloved piece of cooking equipment that I've 
gotten in the last couple of years. Another thing too, guys, is a crock pot. For those of you who you just want to prepare your stuff, throw it in there that morning, set it, then go to work. And then when you get home, you'll have, you'll have a dinner just sitting for you. And uh, that's, that's another option as well. So, um, you know, there, there's cooking. Isn't that hard guys. And what is it with the laziness out there? Like with people, they don't want to cook. They just want to go eat out. Crackpot is the chisel man for cooking some good food. You know what else is good? If you get a, a rice pot with the second stage so that you can steam vegetables on top of the rice, man, that's good stuff too. You make some, um, make some good brown rice. I like to mix black brown rice with just whole black rice on the husk. Stuff is black. You can buy it at the supermarket pretty easy, easily. And, uh, and then on the second stage, it'll have a little stage and it'll catch that steam coming out of the rice and you can steam vegetables on there. Make a big pot on, um, on Sunday night and you have enough rice for, uh, for the next couple of days and, and steam your vegetables right, right, right in there too. It's awesome. So let me add what Rick said earlier about sauerkraut. Guys, make sure it's the raw sauerkraut. Not, and you're probably not going to find that in your regular supermarket. You're going to have to go to a health food store for that. It's going to be refrigerated. Very important that it's raw sauerkraut, not the sauerkraut that's next to the ketchup in the aisle at your, at your local supermarket because that's dead. That's dead sauerkraut. Um, another thing too, if you are, you know, have leaky gut or Crohn's disease, guys, you do not want to mess around with, with sauerkraut. Um, that's not a good, a good idea for you that can really mess you up. So make sure, you know, you, you don't suffer from Crohn's or leaky gut before you mess with sauerkraut. All right, guys. Yeah. Um, kombucha is also a great, it's also a great product. I love kombucha. Got introduced to kombucha the last couple of years and it's been awesome. It's a good, it's like the perfect drink. I, I kind of always knew I wanted, but never knew existed. It's a bit bubbly. It's a little tiny bit sweet, but not much. It's got just a really nice, refreshing taste to it. Comes in a bunch of little different flavors. It has probiotics in it. I mean, it's really nice. And if you drink one bottle really, really fast, it's got like a little bit less than 1% alcohol. You feel a little buzz from it for a few minutes after you drink a, a nice bottle of it really, really fast. But it's, it's great. It's a great drink, kombucha, and it's good for your gut, man. It helps your gut health. Uh, it's a great, great stuff. Anybody out there, you go pick it up at your health at your store right now. doesn't even have to be a health food store. Any of the large stores, Walmart has it. Just go pick up kombucha. I like the ginger because it's got a little bit of spice, a little bit of kick to it. So I like the ginger cayenne pepper flavors. But kombucha is nice, and you can make your, your own at home. If you grab a bottle of just original natural kombucha without flavoring, and then you go through the process, you've got the seed there of the bacteria in the, in the bottle you get at the store so that you can start making your own unlimited amounts of kombucha at home, which is pretty easy to do too, by the way, guys. And another one more tip, guys, with a crock pot, uh, great idea for you, not only great for your gut health, but also great collagen is uh, bone, bone broth. And the way you would make that is get bones from the store or whatever, if you get like a T-bone steak or something, eat the steak and then just put the bones in the crock pot for about 48 hours and let it just simmer. And that will make bone broth. And that is one of the most healthiest non-plant-based things you could put in your body um, in terms of the uh, benefits to, to, your, to your health. And that's something that you should be doing. You should be aimed to be doing that at least twice a month. And it's, again, it's very easy to make guys 48 hours in the crock pot. 
Um, very, very easy. All right, guys. Uh, then the final one is a fun one, guys. Best places to meet women. So, um, you know, I know Rick has some ideas, but let me just give you an example where I met this, I met this girl the other day. I was actually um, on the ocean and I was, um, I was fishing and, you know, she comes, she was in the ocean just to look at, at the nature and stuff. And, uh, you know, we were, I was catching fish and she was just like, wow, you know, that looks awesome. Blah, blah. So I was like, Hey, you want to try fishing? She's like, sure. I'm like, have you ever fished before? She's like, not really. So I kind of started teaching her how to fish and, um, you know, I hooked the fish for her and I let her bring it in or whatever. And she lost the fish. She's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. But she had such a nice positive energy, you know, and, and she just was like, you know, asking me my name and stuff. And, she was into me, you know, but you know, I'm taken right now. So of course I didn't like ask her out, but that's a perfect example of you just doing something, doing a hobby and a woman being there and, you know, kind of just having a good time with her. And that's a great opportunity to, to meet a woman. That's a perfect example of just meeting a woman. And she was, she was a, a very cool chick. If I was single, I would have definitely asked her out to dinner. I could have been just like, Hey, you know, Hey, you lost my fish. Now you have to let me take you out for to dinner. And she would have probably been like, ah, ha, ha. all right, here, here's my number. So that's, that's a great example guys of women are everywhere. Just do something you enjoy doing and you might run into a woman and, you know, just joke around with her and have a good time. And women love that. Women love just the guy who's himself and uh, confident. And like one of my other fishing buddies, after she left, he actually came to me and he's like, he's like, I thought you were with that girl. I thought you knew that girl. I'm like, dude, I literally just met her a minute ago. And he's like, wow, he's just blown away. He thought like I knew her because we were just, we, you know, we had such good chemistry and stuff, just, just having a good time together, you know? So that's a good way to meet women guys. Just doing what you love to do every day. How about you, Rick? What's an idea? Ideally you'd want to be in a situation where you don't have to kind of chase and try to find women. You could somehow, and it's not easy for most guys, but somehow arranges so that they kind of have to come to you. I mean, there's several ways to do that. I mean, look, one easy way is just you could become a photographer, just amateur photographer, and just do it on your on your part time, and you'll meet tons of women. Training, uh, sports. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways to to become the center and have women need to reach out to you for whatever reason. So that's good. If you can arrange that into your lifestyle, then you're good to go. If not, uh, acquaintances people being introduced, I found is probably the most effective way to meet women is being introduced to women. Like if you have a girl that maybe uh, put you in the friend zone, right? It happens to guys, she puts you in the friend zone. So you go, all right, bitch, put me in the friend zone. Well, um, I'm gonna go through your social, see what cute friends you put pictures up with. Then I'm gonna ask you to take them out one day so I can meet them. You know, just that bold. So you, you have a girl that you know and she friend zoned you. And, uh, but she says you're great or whatever, whatnot, then introduce me to some of your friends then. So you're not, since you're not interested, same thing with your buddies, you know, your buddies, um, they might have a, a girlfriend or friends and they have friends really being introduced. It's probably, so those are probably the two best ways to meet women is have them come to you for one reason or, or another. Uh, and then, uh, you're, you're always have a, steady uh, supply of, of new people to meet or get introduced and you can be very bold and say hey uh this girl in that picture from uh last christmas what's her name you still talk to her 
hey, we should go hang out with her one day. You know, if you're already in the friend zone, fuck it, right? Or if you just have acquaintances or, or friends or whatever. And then obviously, you know, the Don stuff, like walking up to a girl you've never met and, you know, Casanova type shit, just talk to her and get the number. I mean, I guess you can do that, but that's kind of weird and hit or miss because you never know who's doing what in their life. So that's really not something I, I tend to do, which is, you know, like cold drop on a girl and try to get her number on the spot. I try to get introduced or, or have them come to me for one reason or another, which tends to work. That's it. Yeah, that's hard to do just going up to someone. I'll tell you why. Um, a lot of women, they're very, very scared if you do that. They're like, because they don't know anything about you. We live in a social media world. We live in a world where you can meet someone online and look up, look them up on Facebook, look them up on Instagram, whatever social media and learn about them. You can learn, is this guy, you know, a fucking pedophile? Is this guy married? Is this guy, uh, has a criminal record for uh, uh, domestic violence, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's the world we live in guys. So a woman, you just going up to a random woman and talking to her for like a couple minutes and then just boom, like ask her out, you know, it's, it's going to be hard on her, you know, put yourself in her situation. Like just imagine if you had a sister and some random guy went up to her and asked her out, you know, um, wouldn't you be scared like to let your sister go on a date? But the interesting thing is like violent crimes and rapes and all that stuff is lower today than it was when we were younger, Rick and I, Rick and I actually grew up during the eighties and nineties. That was the serial killer peak, you know, worldwide. And now, you know, uh, it's hard to be a serial killer because they'll catch you after your first murder. Now they have cameras everywhere and DNA and all that shit. You know what I'm saying? So they ruined it for the spiral serial killers. Yeah. There's cameras everywhere for sure. Yeah. So damn, you can't do that now. But like we grew up in that time. So women, you know, are, you know, I'm saying the parents today, they're helicopter parents. They, they raise you to, you know, be very, very scared. Don't talk to strangers, blah, blah, blah. Like you can't do that shit. Like if you, if you're playing basketball on the street with a kid, they're going to think you're a fucking predator. It's not like it was 30 years ago, you know, or remember Dennis the Menace, Dennis the Menace would go to his neighbor and hang out with uh you know with the neighbor and at his house and watch tv whatever you can't do that shit anymore back to the future marty went to hang out with doc nowadays if they made a movie like that the guy would be a fucking predator it'd be like a gay gay movie about some old guy fucking some teenager so i mean it's time to change so you don't want to you know put women on the spot like that so i think a really good place to meet girls is like yoga yoga is a perfect example because you're outnumbered in yoga it's 80 percent women and they're beautiful women they're women who keep themselves into shape. They have a really good lifestyle. You, and you know what's uh, the best way to meet women in yoga? If you're the instructor, <laughs> it goes along the lines of what I said, make them come to you. Yeah. If you're just a good yoga instructor in good shape, you'll see so many women throughout your day, half naked, most of them, that, I mean, you'll get it. It's, look, the best way to meet women, I, I think, my opinion is work on yourself, be good and successful yourself in something and have them come to you for whatever reason you know whatever it is yoga perfect example steve yeah but you can go there you can go there and take the classes you won't get it as good as if you're the actual instructor you know 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's true. Like, if you're the instructor, just be like, hey, you know, uh, come, you know, anyone has a question, come see me after class. And she's interested. She's going to come talk to you guys, you know, so. And you could, you could have a good career that you love, but you like yoga or you like, you know, whatever. And or you like photography and you just, you can, you can get a gig at a, at a yoga studio, just teach a couple, a couple nights a week. It gets you in the door. It gets you in there as part of the staff to hang out. If you, I mean, if you're really talking about meeting women, right? Um, same thing with photography. I mean, it, everybody wants photos. So it's, uh, you know, just, just do it. It's bottom line if that's what we're really talking about here, right? Meeting women. Try to find a way to, to make them come to you is, is the best way. And then you, could, then you can feel them out and see which one is, is interested, which one is not, blah, blah, blah. It's probably better than trying to meet random women at some places and trying to pick up numbers and all this stuff. If you can't manage any of that, get introduced. That's the best other way. Yeah, then I think, guys, I, really, if, you, if you're really serious and you're about dating and stuff, every, every option is an option. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, online dating, um, I don't have a history with that very much. Um, you know, that's something that I, that may have tried, you know, a few years ago, a couple of times, a lot of you younger guys, that's a way of life. Now, everyone is online. Everyone's doing the apps and, and stuff, but don't overdo it on that. Don't like have six different dating apps and talk to 50 women a day. That's, you're not really serious, but like, you know, kind of put yourself out there. Every option guys on the table, whether it be meeting a girl, at the gym, meeting a girl, at yoga, online dating, whatever, meeting a girl through work, meeting a girl through friends. If you keep all your options open and you're not like ridiculously like picky about what you're looking for, you will meet plenty of women. Um, you know, my, my last advice guys is, you know, like, don't, you know, don't just like say, you know, I'm only going to date this, this race or this ethnicity or this religion or this height or this hair color or this eye color. When you do that, you're eliminating women. Like if the girl is perfect for you and you have great chemistry physically and emotionally, it does not matter. Any of that shit does not matter. It's, it's silly to even, you know, act like that. Like you're eliminating people um, unnecessarily. And uh, we see it all the time of examples. Women are, are notorious for doing that. They complain they can't get a guy. And then you're like, oh, what are you looking for? But like, he has to be this height. He has to have this, this color hair. He has to be this skin tone. He has to have this religion. You know, he has to have this, this, this or that. He has to drive this car. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, so don't be so damn picky because that's only going to handcuff your um, endeavors out there. But you know, guys, I'm, I'm all for like any option on the table. Um, don't just be like, I, I refuse to do it this way because uh, you're only just eliminating your chances. You know what? I don't, I don't know, buddy. Maybe you're friends, but I don't know too many guys that are that selective. I think most, uh, at least dudes I talk to, they only have one type and that is non-ugly. And even then that could be a compromise. <laughs> so... I don't know, maybe, maybe people you know, but as far as I know, man, as long as she's beautiful, no matter what color or shape she is, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna pay attention and, and try to pick up. But yeah, I, mean, I think just non-busted is probably the, the criteria, right? Or do you have a lot, of, a lot of friends that are like, oh man, she's, uh, she's gorgeous, but she's, not, I don't, she's a little too tall for me. 
Dude, I've heard every fucking story. I heard a guy actually on this podcast we interviewed was a bodybuilder a couple of years back. And I was talking to him about, he's a younger guy. And I'm like, oh, dude, you live, you know, you live in this place. There's so many Italian women. He's like, oh, I don't like women with curly hair. I'm like, okay, you don't like women with curly hair. So she's a beautiful woman, but she has curly hair. You're not going <laughs> to, you don't be interested. It's like, dude, like, come on, Maybe dude. Maybe girl with curly hair broke his heart and it reminds him of her. I don't know, dude. I just, I can't really see any straight guy, single, has a chance with a girl and she just happens to have, I don't know, bro. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it's all good all right guys look we appreciate you guys listening to the show submit your questions we will read them on the podcast steve smee and as for rick hit me up on the forum steve smi i'll talk we will talk to you guys next week have a good one have a good one buddy have a good one steve have a good one guys Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program. Evolution Network podcast coming your way, guys. This is number 321. We have another Q&A episode coming your way. Steve Smee here and Rick, as always. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? All right, guys. So five great topics, guys. We're going to have a lot of fun with these, uh, as always. And we're going to get into the first one. So the first one is an interesting one. Let me pull up the question here that he, he wrote, and he's over 50. We don't really talk about over 50, but we have a lot of listeners that are, are over 50 or that are approaching 50. Um, that's great. You're halfway through your life when you're at 50, right? So he wants to know, what's a good over 50 beginner steroid cycle? And, um, you know, first of all, if you get a, some, some guys, you know, they don't start using steroids, so they're over 50. Some guys get a late start in fitness. Some guys have been in fitness a long time. They just never got around to using steroids um, or, uh, you know, PEDs. So they want to kind of get into it. And it's just not reserved for the younger guys. Um, there's plenty of guys who are over 50. If you go to some of these bodybuilding shows, there's plenty of guys in their 50s, 60s, even 70s that are competing. And they're on the, they're on the sauce. And uh, we have plenty of guys on our forum who are over 50 as well. We have um, uh, at least one moderator who's, who's over 50. So let's get into this, Rick. Uh, what's a good over 50 beginner steroid cycle? What do you think about this question that came in? All right. Well, if we're, if we're talking about a guy who's in his 50s, uh, going into 50, and he hasn't been a big steroid user. Because if, if you've been a big steroid user, you don't need to, me to tell you what will work. You've should know by now, right? But if maybe you've only done one or two cycles and it's been, you know, a decade since the last time you juiced and you're going to get back into it, look, start with blood tests, uh, see what your estrogen is at. Maybe you need to lower your estrogen a little bit. Take a testosterone booster. Start with that if you haven't done so before. Try mines into Generate. Go to hcgenerate.com, hcgenerate.com. Check it out. And just give that a shot. Lower estrogen and use a testosterone booster. If Steve maybe just shifting that balance between lowering estrogen, lowering sex hormone binding globulin a little bit, 
and just reactivating, you know, just trying to get more life out of your Ladex cells. See how that works naturally. And if you still need a little bit of extra help, if you still need a little bit of, um, of some extra androgens in your system, synthetics, then probably start off with the creams, which is our next uh, part. Start off with the creams. Make sure you get some good DHEA cream. There's DHT creams out there. Make sure you get testosterone cream. There are different creams out there just, just to add a little bit. Now, if you do those things, if you boost natural testosterone a little bit, lower estrogen a little bit, lower sex hormone binding globally a little bit, which are usually pretty high when you're older, and you raise your own natural testosterone production, maybe add a little bit of a cream, you're putting yourself now in the realm where you actually can build some decent muscle and, and get some tightness to your look, to your body. And you're not really on, on a real crazy uh, cycle and you're not really doing anything that serious at that point. Obviously, the next step up from that is maybe swap out the cream for injections and get on TRT and make sure you get human growth hormone. If you're over 50, make sure you get a couple of IUs of human growth hormone every day. That's my plan. I've saved my human growth hormone use for my 40s and 50s. You know, I didn't burn that out when I was young. So now that I'm, I'm heading into 40, now I, now I can use some, some human growth hormone and peptides now and go that route. So testosterone, human growth hormone, some estrogen management, boosting your own natural levels. If you're 50, you, you want to take the herbals because the herbals are, are going to help you enhance the whole testosterone experience. They're going to help with some of the mechanics of the erection. They're going to help, and especially tribulus is going to help the way your brain feels with that new testosterone. The, the tribulus just tends to make your brain more receptive to those androgens, plus everything else in the H to generate. So just make sure to give that a shot. And that's all you need, you know? If you're over 50 and you're just now getting started on steroids, and look, I'll tell you this, by the way, guys out there, there is an exception to the five to eight year rule that I talk about on this podcast where I tell people you should not touch steroids unless you're, you've been training for five to eight years natural. If you're 50 already, look, as long as you've made the lifestyle change to make the gym a part of your life, to make clean eating part of who you are, just throw the sauce on top of it. As long as you're giving yourself at least a year of just good, healthy, clean eating and good habits as far as training consistently, just throw on the sauce, man. You're 50, you don't need to train five years. Just give it a shot if that's what you want to do. Matt, as a matter of fact, I think steroids really, as you get older, your decision to use them should be a lot easier. See, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your teens, 20s, even early 30s, Really think about that shit. You don't want to use this stuff. It might have some, some side effects later down the line, 20, 30 years from now. And plus, your body's already making plenty of testosterone and human growth hormone and the things you need. So the decision is a lot harder. But as you get into your 40s, late 40s, 50s, 60, what? It might do something 20 years from now. What? So what? Your testosterone is already low at that age. So add some more. Steroids in older forms really make a really big difference for you. A lot, it's a lot bigger difference for a guy who's 50 shooting 200 milligrams of testosterone per week than a guy who's 25 shooting those 200 milligrams of testosterone per week. The guy who's 25 might shoot the 200 migs and say, this ain't shit. The guy who's 50 might shoot those 200 migs and say, oh my God, this changed my life. So as you get older, I think that the decision to pull the trigger and do steroids should get easier. I mean, what are you, what are you worried about? 
I'm telling you guys that as I go on. Now, I've been using steroids my whole life. And as I said, human growth hormone. I tried it here and there, but it's not something I've stayed consistent with. Now it's going to be something I'll, I'll probably uh, be adding a few months out of the year now, hopefully, if I get good, good quality stuff and I can afford it, right? I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, but now, now it's time to mess with it because now I'm getting to that age where it's really lacking. So human growth hormone, estrogen management, testosterone. Let's start with the creams and testosterone boosters. If you need a little more umph, go with the injections. Stay on the testosterone boosters. You, if they make a nice difference, you should just cycle them in and out, but you should take them, my opinion. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, you gave good advice getting blood work done. I think that's just the step one. If you get blood work done, you got low testosterone, then, then going on testosterone, it's going to make a world of difference. You'll feel much, much better. And then growth hormone. What happens if your growth hormone is low? Um, you know, as we get older, our testosterone levels drop, but our growth hormone drops even more rapidly, um, to levels that are really, really low. So, you know, you can get good, really good results. If you have low testosterone and low growth hormone, which most people are going to because of environmental factors, because of the foods we eat, because of the water we drink, because of uh, you know, all kinds of things, the pesticides and herbicides that are all over the place, the air we're breathing, the oceans being polluted, all this stuff has caused an epidemic with low testosterone, low growth hormone. So if you find out you have low levels and you go on just a therapeutic amount of testosterone and a therapeutic amount of growth hormone, you'll feel much, much better. So that's what I would do. And then go from there. If you want to blast some steroids, blast some steroids. Just add it to your therapeutic dosages. And then you can always just run SARMs. You can run strong testosterone booster to end to generate what Rick mentioned. Excellent, excellent choice. And that can make all the world a difference. It can really give you an extra boost in the gym, extra boost in the bedroom, extra boost with your career and you'll feel a lot better. So, I mean, sky's the limit guys. Uh, just make sure you get blood work. Same goes for any, any age, but especially those over 50. Um, if you're, if you're under like 45, I wouldn't even bother getting growth hormone tested. It's really, really expensive. But if you're over 50, for sure, get your growth hormone tested as well as your testosterone. Let's see where things are at. All right, guys, next topic. Next one is using Androgel Testin versus injectable for TRT. Now, Rick, have you ever used the, the Androgel? So let me, let me explain what the Androgel is first. So Androgel is a, basically it's like a cream. So it's a topical, it's a transdermal testosterone. It's a topical gel you apply it to your skin and it does it works its magic because it will absorb into the body and boost your testosterone levels it's not as effective at doing it it's not as a good absorption as just injecting straight testosterone would be but it does the trick when it comes to getting your levels to a trt dose and 
a lot of doctors would rather give you the Androgel or the Testum as a prescription in the United States um, just so because they don't feel comfortable with you injecting. So, but a lot of doctors now these days are, are turning to injectables. I think five or 10 years ago, it was, it was much more easier to get the gel, but now um, doctors are kind of realizing, Hey, you know, uh, my clients are demanding I give them the injectable. So now it's very unusual to have a doctor say, no, I'm not giving you the injectable. I'm giving you the androgel. So I would say the benefits, Rick, of the injectable over the gel, to me, one of the big benefits that I would think was that the gel, you have to apply it every day. So basically with the, the, the androgel, you apply five to 10 grams every day on your body. It's got to absorb. You can't shower it off. You can't um, accidentally get some on your kids or your, or your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever. And that could be an issue versus just injecting once a week and being done. It takes five minutes to inject. You're good to go. The Androgel, you got to make sure you take a shower, dry your skin. It's got to be a good, clean skin. It's got to absorb all this stuff. So to me, the injectable is a hell of a lot easier than the, than the, than the uh, gel. But on the flip side, some people just don't want needles around the house if they have kids. I mean, Rick, you've got kids running around all the time where you are. So I'm sure you don't want your kid picking up a needle or something. He sees daddy injecting himself. So what's your opinion on this? Does that make sense? Androgel works great. Injections also work much better, obviously, than the gels. Um, topical delivery, transdermal delivery of medications, ingredients is very effective, extremely effective. For years, I've been using Yahimbi topically to burn fat. There were a lot of really good topical anti-estrogens. Formistain is a great anti-estrogen. Works a lot like Mastron would as far as lowering estrogen. You could apply it topically. Arimistane, there are some, there were some arimistane versions in the market, probably still are, in a cream. There's an aromatase inhibitor. So delivering testosterone, delivering different hormones via the skin, it's, it's been done for a while. Now, there are some limits as to how much you can actually deliver through the skin. You can load up a needle with a gram of steroids. Literally, you can put a gram of steroids in a needle, four cc's at 250 milligrams a cc, shoot that, and you just got a gram of hormones into your body. Now, in order to deliver a gram transdermally, it's going to be a lot tougher, and you won't be able to do it in just a 24-hour span. You won't be able to do it right away. You need consistency. You need to maybe apply it a couple times a day. Some compounds that you deliver through the skin need conversion via enzymes on certain parts of the skin. That's why certain products will be, you'll get indications to use them on certain parts of your body because you have different concentrations of different enzymes in different parts of your body. So once you apply and those enzymes have been kind of, I guess you could say used up, there's a cycle between when they get cycled in and out. So then you won't be able to deliver a gram of anabolic steroids through your skin, just like that, like you could with injectables. 
So in that regard, it depends how much you need and what you need. If you only need just a little bit of, just a little boost, get a little more muscle tone, drop a little bit body fat, get your dick hard in the morning. If you just need a little bit, Androgel will get you there. Older guy in your 50s, like just the last question we just handled, it'll get you there. You're fine. Little testosterone booster, I keep saying, manage estrogen. Put a little of your hand flame on your nipples. You're going to have a nice look. You're fine. If you want more than that, if you want to put on 20 pounds of muscle, then I guess if you apply the androgel every single day and you, and you ate right and you trained right, over years you'll, gain, you'll, you'll keep gaining mass because it'll just keep your, your androgen levels over what your body could produce naturally, but it'll take a while longer. If you really want to like crunch in and gain 20, 30 pounds in, in two, three months, the way most guys want to do, right? Most guys listening to this, then yeah, you're going to have to inject because it is just a more efficient way to just get a lot more steroids into your body than you ever could through the skin. So if you need a lot more than that, if you need bigger dosing inside of your body, then yeah, then yeah, you really do need to be injected. You know, that, that, that is, I guess, the answer, you know, if you're just trying to enhance your life the way you feel, little androgen, little your hip flame around the fatty sections, you look tight, feel good, dick is hard getting a little muscle tone, make some progress in the gym when you do go. Even if you're in your 50s, great. If you want to put on more mass, if you want to put on faster pounds, Androgel won't get you there. You can't deliver enough. Go with injectables. Good deal? All right, Steve, what else you got? All right, guys. Next topic. Let's get into the next topic. How to stay motivated to lift right now. This is a really good one. We discussed this on prior podcast a couple times. But circumstances have changed since you last talked about it, huh, Rick? Um, you know, right now, like, a lot of people are going through a tough time. Um, in the United States, I read something that um, you make under 40000 a year. 40% of people are now unemployed. So it's hard to, it, you know, I always view the gym as something that, you know, things are good in your life. You have you know, you want to better yourself. You got everything square. I like to go to the gym and just, you know, be able to relax. And then now it's like, you're scared to go to the gym. You're scared to pick up something. And then not everybody is being polite in the gym. Not everybody is wiping. Not everybody is wearing a mask. Not everybody is washing their hands. So how do you get motivated? Gyms are opening up all over the place. My gym um, actually just opened today, believe it or not, Rick, my gym opened today and I'm not motivated to go, man. So, um, you know, I'm more motivated just to stay home and work out. Why should I go back to the gym? And the thing is, you know, the gym environment is something that's really, really wonderful. The gym environment gives you that push, you know, you got hot chicks, you got beefed up guys and everybody's pushing each other, you know? So what are some ideas uh, to help you get motivated? What are you doing right now to stay motivated, right? You know, Steve, it's, it's unfair for me to even answer this question because I'm in the fitness industry. I do this podcast, right? We have two episodes a week. Now I'm doing the Elite Fitness Podcast. Uh, I do that once a week. I run a supplement company. I'm always posting on Facebook. By the way, guys, if you're not 
following me on Facebook, then you're missing out because I'm going to post all of the podcast episodes there, updates, movies, posting content. Go to rickyvrock.com. That's R-I-C-K-Y-V is in victory, R-O-C-K.com. And you can follow me and check out some of the other content. So it's really unfair for me to answer that because it's my life. It's my lifestyle, staying in shape, keeping my stomach tight, keeping my body dry, experimenting on myself. I'm doing a uh, Anavar run right now because I'm going to write a little pamphlet for guys on, on Anavar-only cycles. So I'm logging my progress. And then by the time I'm done with this little Anavar-only run that I'm going to do, I'll be able to, to offer uh, some nice content to people. So my personal situation through all this, staying in shape, getting to, to the gym, and I'm not even going to the gym. I got my weights at home, obviously, right? But just getting my training done, making sure that I don't slip up on my diet. This is just what I need to do for work, for what I do. And I, hopefully, maybe I can inspire other people. Hopefully, if you come out, follow me on Facebook, check out the other content, stay with this podcast. Maybe you'll stay focused on the goal. Maybe you'll stay focused on keeping your body strong, keeping your, your mind strong. I don't know. I think it's, it, I can't answer it because I'm already motivated. This, this is what I do every day. And for you guys out there listening, just keep watching, listen to this. Keep working out at home. If you don't feel good about the cooties at the gym, just work out at home. But keep training. Go for a run. Keep training. You know, don't stop training. Don't stop exercising your body. It's fine if you don't want to go to the gym. That's okay. It's not okay if you don't want to train. It's not okay if you don't want to push yourself. It's not okay if you don't want to push yourself to exhaustion. Get some endorphins moving through your, through your system. It's, uh, that's not okay. That's not all right. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you don't want to go to the gym, don't fucking go. You lift some weights at home. Uh, do some calisthenics. Just keep training. You know, keep training. And that's it. What do you think, Steve? I think some, some ways that you can get motivated is um, by buying some new shoes. How about that one? Buy some new workout apparel. That can get you motivated. How about some music? Um, music is very motivational. That's why they put music um, in movies, especially in uh, if you watch like action movies or movies where guys are working out. Remember the Rocky movies? They always have the, the little workout uh, – montage and they have uh you know the motivational music stuff like that you know i'll give you some meathead talk for getting motivated this is what you do you get yourself a little book little journal you don't need to buy a new one just whatever you got laying around take a picture of today start writing the date measurements weight everything if you got a caliper caliper your skin pictures Grab your shit, whatever you got in your cupboard. If you need to order some stuff, then order it up. And just see what you can do in four weeks with your body. Clean eating, clean diet. See what you can get. See how far, you can, see how far things can get you. You know, give that a shot. That'll get you motivated. Track your progress. Put together a good program and track your progress all the way and see how that does for you. You know, that, that's a good way to get motivated. See what supplements you got. Get some stuff. Put a program together. Pictures, take pictures, you know, take pictures every day. 
that'll get you motivated. I think if you, if you track, if you, if you, if you take pictures, if you got a program, if you've got supplements you want to take, got this Anavar cycle, adding your hand flame, taking Entuslin, obviously taking Entugar with it, added HG Generate ES as a testosterone booster for it with my little 50 milligrams of Anavar per day. We'll do a little four-week run. We'll see how many, you know, how many points I can dial back on my body fat and if I can put on some, some extra mass at the same time, just give that a shot. That, to, that motivates me getting all my shit together, getting all my products together, getting all my, all my gear together, running it, logging it, talking about it with my friends, coming back on a podcast and discussing it with you and, and the guys on the forums. So the pictures, I posted the pictures of the stuff on the forums, on Facebook too. That gets you motivated. Just put a program together and, and do it, run it. That, that, that'll, that'll get you off your ass real fast. If you come on the forum and start a thread or like a log and just track your progress, put up pictures, you know, say what you're doing, that will kind of keep you motivated because now everyone else is going to be pushing you on the forum. It's kind of like peer pressure. So that really works. Um, and it's a good way for you to kind of have a diary without having to actually write stuff down, like in a book, you can actually come on the computer and type out a diary every day and kind of keep the progress up. So I think that's a really good idea. And then, um, you know, one of the things you could do if you're single and I've done this many times, sing, being single is a great opportunity to better yourself without, you know, having to worry about performing, um, about entertaining, uh, a person every night or spending time on the phone with them or spending time texting back and forth. Cause that's what people love doing now. So if you're single, be like, look, I'm not going to date for four weeks or eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks, whatever. And just be like, look, I'm going to make my body the best body possible. I'm going to get my body so good that I'm going to be confident when I do go on on a date that that girl is going to be more attracted to me because she's going to sense that I'm confident and I have a lot of self-esteem, but I'm not cocky because being cocky is not, is not sexy at all. Being cocky actually is low self-esteem. But when you're a confident person, you don't got to show yourself off. You don't got to try to impress people. You don't got to put up a bunch of pictures of you with abs and stuff on dating websites. No. You can just put a picture of yourself wearing regular clothes and a girl's going to look at it and she's like, wow, this guy looks confident. He dresses sharp. He has a nice body. She'll know you have a nice body just the way you're dressed. You don't have to show it off. Pictures with animals. I read on an article a little while ago that, and it seems that women put pictures of guys with pets on their profile. Just so you know, if you guys do the, the, the dating site thing, which I don't, I don't really partake in, but many of you out there know do. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure if you don't like animals, you're not going to get very far with with uh, people these days. I mean, you won't get far with me at least. All right, guys. So the next one is best kitchen appliances that you recommend. So this is a good one. We actually had a guy on the forum. He was a salesman. He actually travels all over the Midwest and travels by car. He sells, he's a salesman. And uh, I actually suggested to him because he was complaining. He can't find, you know, healthy options because 
you know, restaurants on the road, it's all gut food, which it is. So I actually suggested that he can take some appliances with him. Uh, just put them in his car. Uh, there's a couple good ones that I recommend. Uh, number one, Crock-Pot. Crock-Pots crock pots are very, very good. The Crock-Pot, all you need is some broth. You can make the broth on your own or you can buy the broth in the store. I, I get like the organic broth. It's got nothing uh, bad in it. Very, very good quality, high quality. You don't want to get the cheap broth. Put the broth in the, in the Crock-Pot, set it on like medium for the day, throw in some meat, whatever meat you want to get, and then just let it, let it slow cook all day and go do your thing, go to work, go to the gym, do whatever you got to do. And that thing will just slow cook all day. And then in the evening, you know, you can add some rice to it. You can add vegetables. I like to add rice, vegetables, um, and then like whatever meats I'm using, maybe some chicken and honey. I like to add honey as well. Honey is a secret ingredient. If you ever try it, you'll know that you can remember that I recommended it. And it'll, oh my God, it's, it's, it's amazing. Make sure you uh, make sure that the, the, the meat is well cooked. You have the thermometer, sit the thermometer in the meat. And uh, it's, it's a delicious meal. And then a nice thing about it is you can whole, make a whole thing of crock pot and then just store whatever you don't eat. And it's kind of, uh, it's a really, really good meal. And, uh, you know, that's my recommendation. And you can just travel. Like, you can put it in your car and travel anywhere. As long as there's a plug in your hotel room, when you're traveling, you can just plug it in and, and, and just go to the supermarket and grab, grab the meat, the plain meat. Throw it in there. Get some vegetables, get some rice, throw it in there for the day. Very, very easy to do. So what's your recommendation, Rick, on a good kitchen appliance that people can use? Look, I think the, the three main appliances that I like, because I like electricity. I mean, gas, uh, cooking is fine. So the best way to cook, I found even to cook outdoors, is you need three things. You need a rice cooker with a second stage for your vegetables. You need an air fryer. And you just need an electric grill. And it is just a pleasure to cook outdoors if you have these three items. You need some extension cords. You might have to grab a couple of extension cords and, and use different plugs in the house so you don't overload any one of the circuits and, and have your fuses uh, popping off. But it is so nice. These things have timers on them. You could just set the timer, set the temperature, put the food on there, and just forget it. Go, go sit down with your guest, entertain your guest, have fun. You know, it's, it's just a breeze. And so you, you set the rice. You could put pasta in there, noodles in there with your rice, whatever. On the second stage, it, it'll allow you to cook, uh, to steam your vegetables with all the steam coming off the rice. These are real easy to find out there, guys. And then with your, uh, with your grill, you could take sweet potatoes or even do some wings or whatever. What I'm in the air fryer, right out, you know, plug it in, extension cords right outdoors. Outdoor extension cords, you're fine. Just make sure you have outdoor grade extension cords, proper, obviously, right? And just make sure that if you have like, if you have like, if you have sweet, let's say if you're doing some sweet potatoes in the air fryer, you want to take the sweet potatoes, you're going to cut them up, and you put sweet potato wedges. You want to you want to slice them up, throw them in a big in a big bowl, 
and wet them up and just make sure you slather them with coconut oil. Throw your salt and your spices on there, whatever you like to do, and then throw them in the air fryer. As they cook, some of that coconut oil is going to fall off of them and go into the catch pan right on the air fryer. So what you want to do is every uh, several minutes, you want to stop for a minute, take out the wedges, throw them back on the, on the big bowl where you, where you slathered them in, in coconut oil, drop some of the coconut oil that fell off of them. You know, you got to tilt over the catch pan and just bathe them in the same coconut oil that was coming off of them with your spices and your salt and throw them back in there. Do that a couple of times. They'll be nice and toasty outside and they'll just basically be fried sweet potato wedges and coconut oil on an air fryer and they taste delicious. And again, your meats, set your temperature. Set, it's just so nice to use electricity and cook and forget. And I know you said kitchen appliances, and I'm talking about outdoors cooking, but these two, you, I mean, my, my air fryer and my rice pot, they stay on my kitchen shelf all the time. These are everyday use items. My electric grill, not so much. Uh, I do end up cooking a lot with gas just because the stove is there and I had a gas stove to begin with. When, even when I do outdoors, I, I don't like doing gas outdoors. It's just, it's just electricity. Just so much nicer. Set it, forget it. Um, when you have a, an electric pan and you're, and you're cooking meats and stuff on it, you don't have this issue with grease flaring up and, and charring your meat. You can control your temperatures. And if you have a, a well-designed uh, a flat iron where you're cooking all your meats, it'll, it'll drain all the juices out into a safe place. You don't, you don't have open fires. I mean, it's, it's really, really, it's just a really nice, pleasant, convenient way to cook indoors, outdoors, just air fryer, electric, uh, electric rice cooker. Look, now they even have egg cookers. They have these little egg cookers where you can make six hard boiled eggs in a, just a, a few minutes with a tiny bit of water and a little, uh, a little device with a timer on it. A lot of this electric stuff, it just makes life so much easier. And it's so easy to clean compared to anything else you do out there. So I guess uh, when it comes to appliances, I'm just got to tell everybody, try to go electric as much as you can, in my opinion. Stuff is just a lot nicer to deal with. And, and this is for a few people, right? It's a good solution if you have a small gathering. If you have a large gathering, obviously, you might want to fire up the grill and just have those that gas just pouring out heat on a, on, on a lot of meat and a lot of stuff you're doing. And, and then it's worth the cleanup if you're, if, you, if you're serving, you know, 40, 50 people. But if you have a small gathering, less than 10 folks, I'm telling you, these three appliances will take good care of you and, and you, don't, you, don't have, well, you won't have a lot of cleanup afterwards. All right, guys. So the last topic of the day is how to prevent bodybuilding and your bodybuilding goals, your bodybuilding careers from getting in the way of your marriage or your relationships. And this is actually something that, you know, it hits home for me because I used to compete back in the day. I competed in powerlifting and I competed in, in endurance. And when I was at my peak in uh, endurance, as an endurance athlete, I was in a relationship with a very, very nice girl. And um, the running did, did affect us. It did affect us because, you know, I would go, I'd have, I'd go run in, you know, do some six mile runs in the evening and, you know, and, um, it kind of drove a wedge in with us. And it was, it was really a weird situation because I felt like she wasn't supporting me, you know, as much as she, she should in my goals. And, um, it, it was hard. 
you know, in that situation, um, I think she felt like I wasn't giving her enough attention. And it kind of, it, it, I think it was one of the reasons our relationship got doomed, you know? So I think it's a, it's a definitely a valid question. And I can see in bodybuilding it even being a worse situation because in bodybuilding you're, you know, it's, you have to so like focus on it. If you want to succeed in it, you have to like so focus on one thing and you kind of have to put your family and your relationship on the back burner. There's a lot of that goes into, into bodybuilding and when it comes to competitions. So, I mean, I could definitely see this as like a valid question. And let's say the person you're with just doesn't understand fitness. They don't understand how fitness is important to you. They don't understand how the hobby, the life. So maybe they have a problem with you spending, you know, an hour, hour and a half, you know, commuting and spending time at the gym and then commuting back home. Maybe they have a problem with that. Um, you know, so it, it hasn't been a big problem for me in the past, but it, I could see how it could affect people. And it, it's been a problem, you know, once or twice for me. Uh, so I'm bringing Rick here. Do you think that that's been an issue? You're pretty, you're pretty conservative guy though, because you usually date like women who are, you know, not as career oriented and who don't mind you, um, you know, monetizing fitness and putting in a lot of time in fitness and stuff. Right. I'm very independent. I I've, I've always been. So I kind of do the things that I know I need to do and, and kind of expect, uh, expect things to just harmonize with whomever's in my life. If it becomes just too much of a, of a friction, too much of a friction point, then it's just not worth it. You know, we're not aligned. It took me years, years and years to, to learn that. When it comes to actually having bodybuilding dreams, when you're a bodybuilder, you have to like take your meals with you everywhere. You have to make sure that you have to make sure to prioritize your eating schedule, your training schedule, your drug taking schedule, your supplement schedule. That has to take priority over everything. And like Kai Green said on a video I saw a few days ago, and the better you get, the less room for mistakes that you have. The more muscle you build, now this part I'm saying, the more muscle you build, the more you refine your physique the easier it is to slip away from you if you just let up. The more muscle you hold on you, just the, the, the more progress you've made closer to just the perfect body that you're looking for, the easier some of that more recent progress will slip away from you if you let up. So you'll find most bodybuilders have a significant other that supports their lifestyle that doesn't feel threatened. You see, the fact that you have to focus so much on the way you look and how you eat and the drugs you take and you're sleeping and, you, and everything, where you can't be on call for certain things, where vacations are not just any regular vacation because you still have to get your protein in, and you end up having to find significant others that understand it to the point where they don't, fit, where they don't feel threatened by it the way most people would. So... You have to, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a hard lifestyle being a bodybuilder, just that consistency. It, it's the hardest part of being a, a professional bodybuilder, besides the fact that you have to have the genetics to tolerate the drugs over, over decades and also have the, the muscle structure, but just the consistency. 
and it's not consistency where you can let up a day or two per month and be okay. No, that's that's too much. Letting up two days per month, it's 24 days in a year. That's almost a whole month of progress that you're not getting. No, you have to be consistent to the hour with every meal, with every hour of sleep. You have to be consistent. And so if you're if that this is what's in your heart, this is what you want to do in your significant other. It's not in tune with that. If they can't be by your side and understand that this is extremely important to you and you live a, a different lifestyle, if they can't be there for you, not be threatened by it, you're going to have to either give up the lifestyle or give them up. But both are probably not going to be able to survive in the same space. What do you think, Steve? You know, I take a different perspective on this. What about the situation like, like I don't drink at all. And uh, I'll tell you, it really, it really, um, listen, women our age, uh, I know women my age, a lot of them, you know, they like to drink, especially like wine. They love to go to wine tasting. You know, they have wine memberships. They like to go to Whole Foods and, and go on the wine aisle and grab a nice thing of wine and champagne and cheese and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, that's a type of thing that I, you know, that a lot of women, they want the guy to to drink with them. You know, they want to take the guy to the wine tasting and that's just not my scene. Like I'm not one of those, you know, preppy guys who, you know, likes to go to wine tastings and I've got like my sweater and my scarf and like the, the goofy hat and stuff. And, but I'll, I'll go, I'll go with my, uh, my girl, you know, to the wine tasting and stuff, but I don't, I don't partake in the drinking, but I go and I watch her and she seems to have a good time. So, I mean, you could still participate in it without actually, you know, drinking. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of women, I can remember I, I dated this girl and, you know, she was a drinker. Um, she was in, uh, she was in the military. And one of the things that they teach you in the military, those of you who are veterans, you know, this, uh, they teach you to drink. One of the things, uh, it's kind of like a peer pressure thing. So she drank like a, a sailor, a drunken sailor. She would drink beer and Every night she'd drink and she'd go out uh, once or twice a week and go out with her friends from work and they'd get wasted and she'd come home three, four o'clock, you know, taxi would bring her home. So, I mean, it, it, it's, um, you know, to me, if a girl drinks like that, I'm, I will never date someone like that again. It's just not going to work. And on the flip side, you know, right off the bat, you know, I try to make women understand, look, I'm not going to go with you. I'll go with you to the wine tasting but I'm not going to drink any wine with you. Um, you know, I don't mind if you have a beer, we go to the game. I don't mind if you drink a beer, but I'm not going to drink any myself. So you just got to make it clear right away. Look, that's part of getting to know somebody, especially like on a first date. And she should be asking you those questions on a first date, you know, about your, about your, uh, your lifestyle. And so those are important questions. And if she doesn't agree, you know, to date you, even though she knows that she's never going to take you to a restaurant, to a nice winery, to Napa Valley and all this stuff to drink because every woman my age, that's their dream vacation, right, Rick? They want to go to Napa Valley and they want to visit the wineries and they want to drink and all that shit. And I'm not, you know. Yeah, that's why I don't date women your age, Steve. Well, I think younger women are more into going to clubs and, and drinking hard liquor, though. So... It kind of, it's, I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot of women drink nowadays. They don't smoke. A lot of people fucking drink, bro. Yeah. A lot of people drink. 
alcohol has been part of our civilization since there was civilization. Apparently, and I don't quote me on this because I could be wrong, but apparently the oldest forms of writing that were actually found were counting uh, some, some of actual, some of the stuff that was used to make liquor for the time. It seems like we might have uh, started settling and planting crops so we can have a reliable source to make alcohol. You know, I know in the 1800s, the United States, alcohol was drank, drunk pretty, pretty regularly because um, water was very hard to come by. Good, good, clean water was hard to come by. So they would have to drink either like apple cider or they have to drink water, especially around the Civil Yeah, depending where you were. Yeah, depending where you were at. Yeah. But like a lot of past presidents from, the, from the, that era were drunks. I think Ulysses S. Grant was, a, was an alcoholic. Uh, my several of the presidents around that time were were alcoholics, and it was just something. Yeah, there's just there are just functional alcoholics and non-functional alcoholics. You know, there are alcoholics that can become world leaders and see a country through a crisis, and then retire, and then continue to die drinking. And then you have a guy who just has a six pack after work every day and watches Sports Center, and he'll never fucking accomplish a fucking thing in his life. And all he does is just, he's just Joe six pack, one six pack after work. And that's just enough to cripple his whole life. And then you'll get some guys that are world leaders, even though they're drunks. And uh, it's, man, it's just, it's just what it is. It's some people, like every drug, some people can handle certain drugs. Some people can't. Yeah, but I mean, I refuse to uh, date a, a drunk or alcoholic. It's just not worth it. It's not my job to play, you know, AA. You know, with, with I sport, define you know? date, define date. I'll go out with girls that drink. I don't care. But uh, like making a life with somebody who drinks. Fuck no. No. Got to be. She's got to be in the gym grind. She's got to watch yeah. her diet. You know, all of that. But just like someone to hang out with casually or shit, even even going on, on a trip with or something. Why the fuck not? You can go ahead and drink. That's fine. No well, issue. Uh, well, the one I was talking about who's in the. Uh, military she was abusive towards me so she'd get abusive when she would drink and um yeah that was around the time i actually ended up like you know going to the hospital a few times because of i've her. spent time with girls on on places trips where they drink i don't drink and it's fine remember just off the top of my head i remember this girl miami beach we went i hung out with her there for about four or five days i had a there's a, a business uh, associate i used to see in miami beach and she went with me this time so Went, had my meeting. It's only one day, but stayed four. And she drank all four nights. I hung out with her. You know, we, we'd already intimate. So it was fine to be intimate with her when she was drunk because we'd been intimate before when she was over. It's fine. But uh, it was cool. You know, I hung, I'd hang out with her. We'd, we'd get to the hotel, make love. Next day, she was like passed out. I'd get out of the room, go get my cardio in, go lift my weight. I mean, what you can do in a, in a hotel with what they got. And then, you know, by the time I was like already almost halfway done through my day, some emails answered and everything, just, she was just rolling out of bed, feeling, feeling nasty. It was just, it was great. Because <laughs> you just, I just don't, I felt like I had almost half of the day to myself. You know what I mean? It was just, it was cool. I just didn't sleep a lot. Only slept four hours, but as long as you're not intoxicated, sleeping four hours is fine. You just get up, go get your training done, get some work done, get shit done, and before they're rolling out of bed, I don't, I don't mind it at all. Obviously, I'm not gonna make a life with this person, 
but just to have just a, a pretty sweet thing to have him in bed while you're here on a on a business uh, meeting slash just quick weekend uh, weekend getaway, why the fuck not? And going to, and going to, listen and and it's pretty fun actually if, if you're like me just a happy person you go to a club where people are gathering and they're drunk it's kind of cool it's like you're invisible it's like you got superpowers you're like walking in between people listening over conversations watching people do weird stuff it's it's something else it's cool so i guess that all depends on on the context of you know they say there's the there's how does that old saying go steve that cliche there is the right girl and the right now girl right so it depends how serious you're taking things and, and how involved this person is going to be in their lifestyle, whether them being a, a social drinker or just a fucking alcoholic, if that really matters, you know? One of the red flags, I once went out with this girl. We met up for lunch. It was like 12 o'clock and she was drinking like hard liquor already. Like it was like 12 o'clock. So um, that was like a red flag that this person uh, – Red, red flag is in what? And it's in like, okay, she probably, I'm probably not going to take her to meet my mother. Or red flag is in like, oh shit, I better get some condoms because she's going to want to fuck today. Like red flag is in what? <laughs> so I mean, red flag is in the, we're dealing with like an alcoholic here. She's got to be drinking hard liquor at 12 o'clock noon. Yeah, I mean, um, again, just imagine the, what she's going to be drinking I at seven. Yeah, I wouldn't want her waiting for junior after school. Definitely. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably, probably yeah. wouldn't want her waiting for junior after school. No, not driving junior home. You mean? Yeah, no. But would I mind her laying next to me tonight? Not a big deal. It's fine. <laughs> it's not an issue. Why? Why not? You know what I mean? It's fine. I mean, it depends. Again, it depends what it depends the context of things, right? Well, my morality uh, makes me uh, reject. Um, Get the fuck out of here, woman, womanizing. You're a woman. You know, if you got a map of the world and you got like tax and you stuck a tax <laughs> on every city that you hooked up with a girl, Miami Beach, talk about Miami Beach, the Bronx, uh, Vegas, California, Colombia, Argentina, Venezuela. What what all countries? Uh, fucking that's China. all the plugs that I know. Just say that. Just say that. We run out of tax if we had to do that. We're actually going to do that in the next podcast. I'm not, um, I'm not, just cut it out, man. You're going to make people at home think that, that you're that you're serious come on man cut it out <laughs> all right guys listen evolutionary or guys keep the questions coming uh we hope we answer your question i don't even remember what the question was on this but i don't know we ended up talking about something totally different yeah um, yeah went we, down that rabbit hole we we appreciate you guys listening guys um that's the fun part about this podcast we just uh we improv it so uh, we have another episode next week coming. We have another compound episode. We have another Q&A. So check it out. All right, guys. Steve, Smee, and Ray, have a good one. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.